I had to really understand what my spending triggers were. And sometimes those spending triggers could be associated with negative feelings, right? If we feel anxious, upset, depressed, sad, angry, frustrated, we might want to make ourselves feel better by using something like shopping. I'm Emily Williams, the founder of I Heart My Life and your I Heart My Life show host. I always say I'm just a girl from Ohio with really big dreams. And now I work from home running a dream business that helps you achieve your goals and create more joy in your life. This podcast is all about all the topics that really matter to you. And it's about giving you everything you need in one place. Mindset, relationships, wellness, lifestyle, money, business, and career. We have it all. This is your one-stop shop for all things personal development meets lifestyle. So pull up a seat, get out a pen and paper, and get ready to learn. It's time to create a life that's better than your dreams with the I Heart My Life show. This is episode 262, How One Woman Discovered True Wealth with Wally Miller. So today we're chatting with financial coach Wally all about her decisions and steps that she took to become work optional by 2024. The truth is she made a lot of money in her career, but woke up one day and realized she had nothing to show for it. So she's on a mission to create true wealth, not only for herself, but for busy professionals around the world. I think you're really going to love this episode. It definitely expands on some of the money mindset work we talk about here on the show and goes even deeper and gives you some tangible steps to creating true wealth in a way that works for you. Let's dive in. Welcome to the I Heart My Life show, Wally. I'm excited to have you here and have you share all of your incredible wisdom. Hi, Emily. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So why don't you take us back and share a little bit about how you got into doing this work? Because I know you said you didn't grow up talking about money with your family. It wasn't a part of the conversation. So how did this all transpire? Yeah. You know, I always thought I was pretty good with money and I think I was always interested in money. I was interested in sort of the money management. I, for fun, I would watch like those PBS specials with Susie Orman on retirement. (laughs) Um, Yes. I'm a little bit of a money nerd. Now I didn't always understand everything that was being talked about, but it did sort of interest me. And I knew that that there was something there that I need to learn a little bit about. Like many people, I, in my household, we really didn't talk a lot about money. And I feel like um, one of the things that I work with my clients on is that there are things that we learn directly from the people who raise us, from our parents or anyone else who may have raised you, where you might have conversations about balancing a checkbook and saving and spending. But some of the things that affect us just as equally are the things that we learn indirectly from them. So there's those feelings, the fights, the tension, the ideas, the comments that are made around spending and using money. And so those are some of the things that we really sort of need to hone in on. What we don't realize is that so much of our money relationship and our money mindset is really formed and shaped when we're really young, when we're about between the ages of seven and 10. So when we think about what type of environment and what type of examples did our parents have for us when it came to money and what type of conversations did they have with us surrounding money? And then to think that as we get older and start working and, you know, get those jobs and begin making an income, a lot of the things that we learned may not be the best in having the healthiest relationship with money. 
Totally. Yeah. And my, uh, our audience is so familiar with this topic. So I'm so happy that you're kind of hammering this home because I talk about it all the time as a money mindset expert and what we learn from our parents based on what they say, but also on what they didn't say. So I think this is so important that you're highlighting this for the community. So tell us a little bit more about how you actually got into do this work. If it wasn't something that was brought up, well, first, let me ask, what was your relationship with money as an adult? What were some of your beliefs and, um, some of the things that came up for you. If you would have asked me in my 20s, I would have said, I'm good with money. I have no issues with money, right? But it wasn't until I had sort of an epiphany. And what happened was that um, the Social Security Administration, so if you have a W-2 job, about every 10 years, they'll send you an income statement, right, of how much money you've made in the past 10 years. And I don't know if I was maybe 27 or 28 years old, and I remember getting an income report of the last 10 years of my wages. And I calculated how much money I had made in my lifetime and realized that I had nothing to show for it. I couldn't believe the amount of money that I had made. And when I looked around, I had shoes, I had clothes, and that was about it. And so when we think about, you know, there's a saying that says, show me your checkbook, you know, show me your bank balances, your debit card statements, your credit card statements, and I'll tell you what you value. What I was valuing was clothes and shoes. And that was sort of a moment for me that I realized, okay, I don't think I am doing this right. (laughs) And so that was sort of one moment that I had. The second moment that I had, which I think your audience could relate to, is that I actually, when I graduated college, I found the ideal workplace. I had time freedom. I got to travel. I enjoyed my workplace. I enjoyed my bosses and my coworkers, right? Until I didn't work for me anymore. And so I remember when management changed, one of my uh, supervisors whom I loved, you know, left to go to another job and the whole work environment shifted for me. It went from sort of an ideal workplace to kind of a toxic work environment. And I thought that maybe it would last a week or a month and then a quarter and then two quarters. And I realized that I needed to find something else to do. And when I, again, when I looked at my checkbook balance, I realized that if I missed a paycheck, maybe I would be okay. But if I missed two paychecks, I was going to be in big trouble. So it wasn't a matter of me just saying, okay, I'm leaving, I'm bouncing, right? (laughs) I'm going to get out of this situation. And I realized that I had really eliminated so many of my options because I was sort of an overspender. And where do you think that sort of desire or that tendency to overspend came from? Because I like, you know, money is very similar to a lot of other things, potentially food or other things that we have an addiction to. So were you trying to fill something? Like, have you come to a conclusion about why you had that pattern in your life? Yeah, you know, maybe I'll take back the phrase overspender because I wasn't going into debt right? It wasn't that I wasn't, I was spending more than what I was making. But in my mind, I was paying my bills on time. But any money left over, I was just mindlessly spending, there was no intention behind it. I was pretty much an impulsive shopper, right? I would go to Target to go buy laundry detergent and toilet paper, and then leave with a whole cart full of home decor items. I would be on my way to go put fuel in the car. And all of a sudden I'm making a detour to Nordstrom's, right? So it was one of those things where 
I had to really understand what my spending triggers were. And sometimes those spending triggers could be associated with negative feelings, right? If we feel anxious, upset, depressed, sad, angry, frustrated, we might want to make ourselves feel better by using something like shopping. But sometimes it's also a positive thing that we do, right? If we get a promotion at work, we finally completed a big project. Now, all of a sudden, we are shopping as a form of reward. And neither one of those things are bad, but if you are doing these things without sort of unintentionally, if you're doing these things sort of unconsciously, that's where that that becomes an issue. So it went from, yes, I was paying my bills on time. But I was also, again, when I realized how much money I had made, and I was making pretty decent money for someone who was single, did I have kids, you know, um, but I, I sort of looked around and realized, wait a minute, if I wanted to leave my job, I can't because I have mortgage to pay and I have a car note to pay, like what is going on? And I realized that I had really eliminated so many of my options and so much of my freedom. And so that was where I had to have a mindset shift. And a lot of my clients are women and they figured out the work thing, right? They have successful businesses. They have incredible careers, but we don't really learn about money anywhere, right? We don't learn about it in, in our homes usually, right? Between our parents, we don't learn about it in high school. You don't learn about it in college. You don't learn about it in graduate school. We don't really learn how to manage our own money. I even have a client who's a finance major. So she knows how to look at companies, balance reports. But when it comes to like figuring out how we make sure that our, our spending habits, our saving habits are aligned with the things that we value most. Those are the things that we just don't really learn about. Totally. So what were some of the first steps that you took once you had this big aha moment and this realization? Yeah, one of the first things that I needed to do was really to get to understand and know what my numbers were, right? I think so many times it's easy for us to say, oh, this is how much I make a year but how much do you bring home a year, right? How much is it actually, how much are after taxes? How much do you really have to use? The second thing was to really understand what my expenses were. Because if you asked me, I would say, okay, I bring home X amount of dollars. And so I'm spending X amount of dollars. And I really had to get into the nitty gritty of where my money was going. So after all of my housing costs, you know, my accommodations, my transportation, my food, after those expenses were taken care of, how much money was I supposed to have left over? And that was a little bit of a shocker, right? When I said, okay, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> After I really understand my numbers, it's saying that I'm supposed to have $1,000 left over and I never have $1,000 left over. Where is it going? And so that's when I really had to break down what was sort of happening. And so even now, though, I don't want to focus so much on the calculations and the numbers, right? Because I tell my clients that, and, and this might get a little woo-woo, right? But we really need to understand the money mindset and that relationship, right? When we talk about money mindset, it's simply your relationship with money, your habits, your behaviors, your thoughts around money. And when we understand what that is, and what are some of the behaviors that you would like to replace or some of the habits that you would like to remove, 
then we can sort of figure out what we what you want to do with your money. And so it's really the mindset over the math, right? Um, it's the the mind over the calculations. And so really sort of understanding what are some of the things that we think about, feel about money today so that we can build healthy relationships with money. Yeah, and I think the important thing that you're talking about here is also getting clear on your desires. You know, you had a desire to have money left over. And so when you had awareness around how you were spending your money, I'm sure that you were able to see, oh, I'm spending a bit mindlessly right now, or I'm buying things that don't actually give me value or things I don't want to be buying and I want to put my money elsewhere. Is that accurate? 100%. One of the things that I tell my clients is that you know, as a financial coach, this might sound a little weird, but I do not care how you spend your money, right? What I do care about is that I want to hear what is it that you want your life to look like? Let's design the life that you want. Let's design the experiences that you want, right? Understand what that is and then use money as a tool to help you create that. And so to me, it doesn't matter how you spend your money, but as a financial coach, I'm going to remind you and help you get really clear about what your why is. We all know it doesn't matter where in the country, where in the planet you live, that when there's an abundant season, like you want to be able to save and harvest for when there isn't, right? When there's drought. So why is it so hard to do that? Even though we all know we should be saving money for a rainy day, why is it hard to do that? If you don't have a strong, passionate why associated with it, reaching financial milestones, they're great. But if it's not attached to what it's going to help you make you feel and help you accomplish, it's going to be less motivating, right? So if we can really tie in the things that the life that you want to have, the experiences you want to experience, then we can tie that into how we can use money as a tool to help you get there. And then it's at that point that reaching those financial milestones are more motivating, right? Because you're not just trying to get debt free to be debt free, like, okay, being debt free is cool and all, but then what? But if debt free is a goal for you, because what it'll allow you to do is to use the money that you're paying down on that credit card debt to be able to experience things with your husband or your partner or your children or even for yourself, then that is the goal. I also think there needs to be a shift in terms of the association with why we're saving money, because oftentimes, like you said, people think it's saving money for a rainy day. Right. But like, let's really shift that because I think that's not really a motivator for a lot of people. So like you said, getting clear on what is the thing that motivates you to save. Right, exactly. It's not just about saying I'm saving for a down payment on a house, right? Like, tell me what the house is going to look like. Dream it, think it. One of the exercises that I have my clients work on is a vision board. And again, might sound a little woo-woo, but it's so important to have that visual representation about what it is that you want, right? Whether it is a luxury car, whether it is traveling more, like being able to have that visual representation and reminder of what it is that you want will help you help us all really because this I, this is something that I do in my own life to be able to to keep us on track when we have to make those decisions. And I know that you said on the little information sheet that I was sent about you to decide the kind of life that you want and then say no to everything that that 
doesn't fall under, the category doesn't fall under. So I love what you're saying about getting clear on what that vision is, but then taking it one step further. And when we potentially have other opportunities or get bright, shiny object syndrome, or when we start to venture into Target, when we were really just going to the gas station, we're able to get clear and come back to that desire and say, no, actually, this is not in alignment with this desire. Is that accurate? I am definitely not a frugal person, right? This is not about being uh, of uh, living a life of deprivation. This is actually the total opposite, right? This is, again, only you can decide the life that you want to live and what a rich life means to you. And I'm not talking about a rich as as far as wealth. I'm talking about what a full life looks and feels like to you. And so if you can really create what that full life means and get crystal clear on that, and then again, use money as a tool to achieve that, then that is the goal. You know, one of the things that, you know, part of my story was once I really understood where my money was going and I realized that it wasn't aligned, where I was spending my money wasn't aligned with what I valued most. That was something that helped me make that shift. What I valued most was things like travel. I wanted to be able to travel and not be worried about once I came back from vacation, opening the mailbox to see the damage that had been done. I wanted to be able to go on vacation, be able to come back and feel really good because I had planned for it. And because it was part of my spending, it was going to, it's, it was part of me. And so what I say is that Rather than thinking about, again, as, as sort of what you sort of alluded to, rather than thinking about all the things you have to say no to, think about the things that you're saying yes to and let your yes be very loud and clear. And then your no falls in place. You don't even have to say it because you're just saying yes. So if you say yes to financial freedom, if you're saying yes to kicking that nine to five, if you're saying yes to being able to build generational wealth, if you're saying yes to being able to uh, retire at, you know, 50 or 45 instead of waiting till 65. Who said 65 was the time you had to retire, right? So it's sort of, I like using the term work optional rather than retire, right? It's being able to decide the projects, the work that you want to do based on on your own terms. And so if we can begin to do that, that's where we'll be able to use money as a good old tool, right? So what are some of the tips for people if they do want to create a work optional experience or build generational wealth for their family? What are some of the tips after they've identified their spending and gotten clear on their desires? What do they do next? Okay. So we've already talked about really understanding your numbers, know what your income is, know what your expenses are. I like to, when we're talking about expenses, it can sound like, okay, there we go. The budgeting and the penny pinching. And I'm not for that. Neither am I, right? I just mentioned that I'm not incredibly frugal, but there are things that I know I don't value. So I'm no longer going to spend money on, right? And so if we can get the, the biggest items where we spend money tends to be housing, transportation, and food. And I like to use this acronym of cutting the fat. And FAT stands for food, accommodation, transportation, and taxes. If you can cut the F-A-T-T down in your budget, that is where the bulk of your success is going to be, right? Forget about getting the coffees every day. Like, yeah, it's great if you can save on those three or four or $5 coffees, but that's not going to move the needle as it is if you can cut in these big areas where we generally spend, right? On our food, housing, or food accommodation, transportation, and taxes. If we can really figure out how we can reduce in those areas, 
that's where you should spend your, your energy on. The second thing is when we're talking about financial independence or being work optional, it's pretty simple, right? You can sort of reach it in three ways. One is reducing expenses. And then once you reduce expenses, use the difference to invest, right? In order to build wealth. The second is increasing your income. This is so huge because I think particularly for women, the message out there is you need to clip coupons, right? And it's like, okay, let's talk about making more money, right? Can we negotiate higher salaries? Can we increase our prices? Can we make sure that we understand what our value is? and make sure that the people paying for us know that value. So reducing expenses, increasing income. And then the third is if you can combine both, if you can reduce some of your expenses and increase your income, you use the difference, right? There's that gap between what you actually need and what's left over. And the gap money, that money that falls in there, use that to build wealth. And this is sort of a whole different conversation because it's like, okay, well, how do I build wealth, right? We can talk about, you can invest in the stock market, invest in real estate, invest in entrepreneurship and businesses, right? So there's different ways to do that. And you have to figure out what is going to be the, the way that will fit you. I like to do all three. I'm an entrepreneur. I have real estate. I'm a real estate investor. And I love the stock market. It's one of the laziest ways <laughs> to make money, right? This is not about day trading and having 16 different screens, but really you need to understand what is your risk tolerance and what interests you, right? If I said those three things, which one sort of piques your interest a little bit? Thank you for explaining all that. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I'm intrigued about what you'd say. Like if somebody came to you and you're looking at, you know, trimming the fat, so to speak, what if they said to you, well, I have a luxury car. I don't want to give that up. My mortgage is set. I want to shop organic. I want to eat at Whole Foods. I want to be able to go out to eat. Like, what if there were all these excuses or desires that do cost a lot of money? How could you possibly trim the fat off of that? Well, as you mentioned, right, it's one of the, if those things are important to them, then keep it. This isn't about deprivation and this isn't about allowing someone else to determine how you want to live. But I would ask, is there any area that, you are spending money on that you really don't care about. I'll bring my own example. I had, I was buying shoes and clothing, but even in my own closet, I wasn't respecting the space in my closet <laughs> and I wasn't respecting the clothes or the money. Why? How did I know this? Because I had things in there with tags on them. Okay. That I purchased because maybe I liked at the moment, but didn't fit quite right or I just never wore. And so I wasn't respecting my closet space. And I say closet space because I live in New York City. <laughs> so we have to make sure that like, you know, space is pretty sacred. The other thing, I wasn't respecting the clothes. I wasn't wearing them. And then the third, I didn't respect the money that it cost me to buy that thing because I just left it sitting in my closet and totally forgot about it, right? And so there are certain things in my life that I really just decided not to spend money on because I don't value. And so if you value the luxury car and you value uh, going to Whole Foods and eating organic, then spend money on that. Just cut mercilessly on the things that you don't care about. And so think about, you know what, I spend money on XYZ and it doesn't add value to my life. It doesn't bring me joy, but these things bring me joy. And this is where I'm going to allocate the money. The other thing is 
if your goal is to reach, be financially independent, to build generational wealth, to be work optional, where does that fall on your list of how you want to allocate to spend money, right? Is there, uh, you know, if we had to create a list of the top five things that you valued most, where does being financially independent or building generational wealth fall in line with your shopping trips to Whole Foods or your luxury vehicle? And only you can decide that. And so as a financial coach, I help my clients sort of really ask those questions and really get clear about what's most important to them and then create a plan so that they can reach those, again, those financial milestones and those financial goals. Yeah, like you said, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. And I love that. And, you know, I'm going to mastermind where we're learning all about crypto and investing in, you know, different sort of things. And they keep saying that to us. Everyone has a different risk tolerance as well. Not everyone has the same sort of plan or same way to actually invest and save money. So I love that everything is unique to your clients and it's custom. Love it. Yeah. Absolutely. And even that, right? Like when I talked about investments and I said, okay, the stock market, real estate, entrepreneurship, there's so many other sectors, right? There is cryptocurrencies, there are NFTs, there's all these different things. But I, one of the biggest mistakes that I see, not even mistakes, but maybe overlooked avenues. If you are an entrepreneur, there are some really great benefits as an entrepreneur that you have to saving and investing money. If you're working a W-2 job, you have some really great benefits that you can use in order to leverage the income that you are making in order to build a six-figure or seven-figure net worth and portfolio, right? And so a lot of my clients, I'm most active on Instagram, and a lot of my prospects and clients will come to me from Instagram saying, you know, you're always talking about investing, and I just, I'm scared, I'm overwhelmed, I don't know where to start. And I know that what they want to hear from me is, where should I invest? Just tell me where I should invest. But when we really dig deep, is like, okay, do you understand what investing is and what is the goal for it? Are you trying to turn $100 into $200 in one day? Or are you trying to turn $100 into $100,000 so that you can be work optional and you can have a comfortable retirement and you can build generational wealth and you can live a life, a full life, right? And so really understanding what the goals are there. And when I talk about, you know, leveraging some of the benefits that you have, things like a 401k, forget about trying to figure out which companies are great (laughs) to invest in. Like, let's just start with something that's really simple and having like a 401k or Roth IRA, for example. Start there and begin uh, sort of using that because it also, we mentioned one of the areas we want to cut or reduce is taxes. Well, guess what? Being able to put money and invest into those type of vehicles or those type of accounts will help you reduce your tax liability. Thank you so much. Such a wealth of knowledge, pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate you breaking that down for all of us. You made it feel so doable and gave some really tangible tips for people to implement right away. Now you already mentioned Instagram. Where else can people find you? Yeah, well, thank you so much. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty active on Instagram. You can also find me on my website, which is financiallythriving.com, and you'll get more information about my financial coaching program and things like that. Perfect. And what is your Instagram account? Um, It's financially underscore thriving. 
Beautiful. Okay, final question for you today, Wally. One that we ask all of our guests. What is one way that people can create a life that's better than their dreams? Ooh, better than their dreams. Because we know the mind only takes us so far. We're capable of so much more. When you mention wealth of knowledge, what, and sorry that I'm going to kind of take a little bit of a detour because I think one thing that I had to really come to terms with was that term wealth and what it meant to me. And I equated wealth with being rich. And I was like, I'm not a athlete. I'm not an actor. I'm never going to be rich. I'm never going to be wealthy. And I equated those two things. And so when I really understood what wealth meant to me, and it meant having full relationships, right? Having great relationships, friendships, uh, relationship with my husband, relationship with my nieces and nephews, with my family, with my parents, with my siblings, that was what wealth meant, right? And so I could use money as a tool to help me elevate those things, right? To be able to create experiences, to go out to dinner with my husband, to visit my family more. And so when we think about what my idea of a dream life meant, it rarely included money, right? And so I think if we can begin to sort of think about, okay, what does a full life look like? And then use money as a tool. And I think I've said that phrase like three or four times in this podcast, because I just think, you know, it's really an underused tool. We don't really learn how to use it. And so when you can define what wealth means to you and what a rich life means to you, then you can begin dreaming. The good thing is that if you can focus on really leveraging the income that you're making and building wealth, you'll be, your dreams will just get bigger, right? What you can do and how you can explore the world and experience your friends and family and experience life will just get bigger. And I think that if I look back, you know, five years from now, I never thought that my life would look in the way that it does today but I can't even imagine what it's going to look like 10 years from now, because I feel like because I've been able to have this uh, level of financial independence um, where I don't have to work if I don't want to, and I'm not 40, (laughs) right? But being able to do that. And then now thinking of outside of me, like how can I build generational wealth for the next generation and change that whole family legacy? I'm changing a whole family legacy. That's what brings me joy. And so I'm like, before, when I'm gone and out of this earth, my legacy will be how I was, or I hope my legacy will be is how I just changed the whole family legacy so that, you know, things like student loans may not be a big of an issue, at least for my, you know, for that next generation. And Mm so I know I went a little bit on a tangent, but I think when we're thinking about dreaming big, really understand, sort of start with what you want your life to look like. Um, and as you get closer to that, and as you reach that, you, I feel like automatically those things get bigger and bigger. Beautiful. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being a guest today and for sharing all of your incredible knowledge. I so appreciate you. And I know the rest of the community does too. And we'll be following along for all of your amazing tips. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Emily. And yes, I just want to encourage everyone. Yes. Love your life. (laughs) This podcast is called, right? Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the I Heart My Life show. Now do us a favor and tell people about this episode. It's truly our duty to make sure that the I Heart My Life movement is spread far and wide. The truth is life can be challenging, but it is possible for all women to love themselves and their lives. 
And while you're at it, send a link to this episode to three of your friends today, or maybe even post it on social media. Use the hashtag I hurt my life show. That's hashtag I hurt my life show. And if you'd like to help me personally, then please rate and review this podcast on Apple podcasts. Give us some stars, cheer us on and leave a review because believe it or not, that stuff actually really does help. And I read all of them. Please remember everything you desire is meant for you and possible. Keep showing up, taking action and believing in your dreams.